Welcome back to Imago Gay, a podcast dedicated to the value of Imago Day because equality and dignity are what we impart to one another when we see the image of God in them. This week, we have spiritual care provider Roxanne Del Valle. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being back as our co-host. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And we will be discussing this book that I am reading called Repotting Your Life. And asking the question, which I think came up for me, which is, what is enough? Our sponsors for today are Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. So if you haven't already, please sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. Stay tuned and find out about our new upcoming series and where you can write in if you'd like to send in some of your questions or a personal story. So today I want to start off our conversation with a letter that someone wrote to me on Instagram and I asked permission if I could share this, but I thought it asked some interesting questions that I thought we could start off as an icebreaker for today. It says, let me start by expressing my appreciation for your ministry and your willingness to engage in complex and nuanced dialogue. As a former SDA with generational ties to the church, I made a decision to remove my membership from the church because, as a same-sex attracted woman, I knew there would be no place for me and my family when that time came. With that being said, I would appreciate your perspective on this question. Does the SDA Church owe members of the LGBTQ community a seat at their table? They also added, you know, once I made the decision to remove my membership from the church, I experienced a dual loss the loss of the church community I held so fondly, and the difficulty of separating the Jesus that I love and remind myself of the distinction that Jesus is not the church. And so I think this person is experiencing losses that anybody in the LGBTQ community is very familiar with, and that they have to go through this journey, kind of like this book, of repotting their life. Mm. And so... In answer to the question, does the church owe the LGBTQ community a space at their table? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. First and foremost, I think my condolences, right? And I think I've been there. I've had to grieve first what it would mean to untether myself from a community that I love so much and who really taught me about a God that I so beloved, and and reworking that, right, the deconstruction of my theology and reconstruction to include myself in that theology. Yeah, as you're talking, I think a lot of things are being brought up for me as far as, you know, I think in essence this person has been asking this question because the pot, you know, to keep the analogy, it's too small for them. It no longer fits them in the embrace of their entire identity, And they feel like they have to uproot themselves. And the question becomes, well, was that even owed to me? Do I even deserve a place at this uh, church? You know, is what I'm longing for something that is a privilege but not necessarily a right? And we start to question even our right to want to be a part of that community. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing a new series called Redefine because there's so much that has to be redefined when you get into a new pot. Right, like when you say this definition of church and how they decide to create community and the definitions that they decide to create those boundaries of community 
are no longer fitting with how I live my life or how I approach the world or how I interact with people or the way that I choose to love. Like when that happens, so much has to shift and so much has to be redefined that that pot of church and Christianity, that version of it is too small to now contain this bigger and larger identity that you're trying to incorporate. And something that I think often about or reflect often about is how God in so many ways is the ultimate parental figure. Mm. And in a lot of ways, church can sometimes be an adult attempt to find the safety or to return to that safety they once felt as a child. Yes, I agree. And it becomes this very almost infantile relationship to God because he's the parent, he knows everything, mm-hmm. or they, them, you know, knows everything. I mean, people who are going to church probably not <laughs> relating to God in that way, but I, I do, right? And it's like... Well, you've oh, repotted. Re- I'm, I've repotted. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this idea of like, there has to be a maturity of saying God is bigger than just needing to protect my inner child. He's given me tools and as an adult to be able to parent my little child, that yes. I don't need to create a community that is forced to create this environment of safety for me where the pastor is this father figure and, and I relate to them as I would a father. And it becomes this kind of, I don't know, this acting out of a very real need, but in a way that lacks the flexibility of loving communities that aren't necessarily, quote, safe, right? Communities that we should be interacting with are not being interacted with because they don't fit into the yeah. mold of creating your nursery. Right. I, I think about how we don't really embrace the diversity, you right. know, kind of set up the community to ascribe to these ideals, right? And we've painted a very clear model, very Edenic, Adam and Eve type of community and what we want everybody to look like. But then you exclude so much variety and diversity by creating that model and you make it very exclusive to communities that either because of their gene pool or socioeconomic location find it easier to enter into or out of, right? But what I really want to react to is something you said in the ways that you've repotted and have allowed you to discover God in a very mature and adult way where you're not putting him into a parental role, even though they can fit that role very comfortably. I, I want to speak to that because that was so such a big part of my personal journey as well. Mm. You know, part of my repotting was redefining salvation from the one given to me in church. Before, you know, I used to rely on my parents as a kid to feel safe, right? right? And then I grew older and that role was kind of usurped by God. You know, now if I had financial struggle, I would trust that God would open up a way. Or if I needed a job or if I needed, you know, anything really, it it could vary from something as small as something we might mistake for luck, right? Like I I think if I wanted to win a contest of something or a grant Mm -hmm. for a project that I wanted to do, I would pray about it. And it would be ultimately in God's will to either provide that or not provide that. And I think more recently, even though there is space for God to act in that way in my life, I've really loved learning the ways in which God has equipped me to be my self-parent. Right. So 
there are ways in which I am very structured in my life's choices, right? Where I'm a good steward of my finances, where I'm making decisions that allows maybe a young version of me to find peace at night. Right. Knowing so, that you have taken care of it. And, and I'm glad that you're getting into this. We'll save some of this for our, our future episode because it <laughs> is so packed yeah. with these ideas of, you know, for someone who is a, a minority and also a woman, one thing we will speak to in the future episode is, is how this idea of salvation has actually crippled us from our own development and the tools that we need to be able to not look for someone to rescue us because in a lot of cases, we're not the ones who are chosen, right? We don't fit the profile of who's supposed to be the CEO or who's supposed to be the one that, you know, is, is picked first for the team. Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, we can resign ourselves to the same world. Well, okay, well, it wasn't God's will, or maybe it was, you know, God's will, but, you know, we live in a prejudicial society that has its own biases that might not open up that opportunity that you might not find a savior, is yeah. going to come and shortcut a process for you and that you have to learn that type of resilience and tenacity for yourself. And, you know, what has that done in terms of our development as adults, as people? Exactly. And then you, you use these theological themes. We talked about salvation very briefly. Yeah. When we reduce salvation or we make salvation about sin versus sanctified version of ourselves, we compartmentalize our lives in such a way where it doesn't feel like it's really integrating the whole of the human being. I think a lot of LGBTQ people are asking the question, how do I repot my life? You know, how do I begin to redefine these things that are important to me, God, salvation, faith? How do I begin to relate to this figure? And even if I want it to remain as a parental figure, this idea that there is an entity somewhere looking out for me, but they need broader definitions. And hopefully maybe we can talk a little bit about some of that today. Yeah. And just to validate also how exhausting it is. For me, it was so hard to, to be okay with the severance. And I thought also that the appropriate thing to do was to nurture myself through communities and spaces that were life-giving and not so burdening. We took a lovely trip to the Coop in Harvard Square, and I found this wonderful book, Repotting Your Life, by Francis Edmonds. And I just want to read a little bit of the summary because it stuck out to me, and it says, The hardest part of repotting can be to notice that what once nourished you then is stifling you now. No matter your age or stage of life, you're never done growing. The summit of one adventure is the starting point of the next. Whether you're craving a career move, a change of surroundings, or a new phase of life, repotting your life will help you design a future full of fresh possibility where you can truly blossom. And so going through this and realizing, oh yeah, like I, it's not just those who are saying, okay, how do I rebuild and redefine community and God? Anybody, everybody is going through some stage at some point will say my career or whatever has become stagnant and I need to give myself a bigger pot. As I'm reading through this book, I started thinking, like, what is it that I need? You know, asking myself the question, like, how do I begin to redefine joy? Mm. I think I've been through a period of time where I'm done being sad <laughs> and I'm ready to really build in joy. And so 
you know, as you were doing this exercise and like asking your questions, like what is enough? Um, and how do you begin to redefine joy? Did you tackle that question specifically? And if so, what were some of the answers that you came up with? Yeah, I, I really started to think about, well, how do I define enough? What is enough to me? You know, and I think I came up with, is it a time thing? Is it a quantity thing? Is it an experience more qualitative than it is quantifiable? And I looked up the definition. Of course, it's tied to more of a nature of quantity. And I started to think, well, I think whatever we use to measure what is enough is very telling of our values. So, for example, if I define my enoughness by how happy I feel in life, then I think I come up with the problem that I've been very happy at many times of my life and hasn't really satiated my fullness, right? Like I haven't said, well, that's enough. I'm I'm happy right now and I don't need anything else. I, I can very much remember times in my life where... I've had the best day of my life or the best moment or I've been surrounded by loved ones and laughing and it hasn't stopped me from wanting more. Yeah. It's like we are dynamic. You know, I I don't know if you can find a habit yeah. where it's like, I'm going to incorporate everything in my life in 24 hours and do this every single day and then that's going to be... Enough. Enough, <laughs> right? Like that's, You can do that every day and you're going to be... Right. I think there is a sense of seasons and shifting and we're a very complicated garden. And if I can figure myself out, I think I will have hacked something. Uh, But when I began to redefine some markers of joy, Mm -hmm. what that would look like in this season of my life, I'm like, okay, well, one, I just, I want to feel good in my body. You know, I put on my COVID pounds like everyone else. (laughs) And also in transitions, you know, you're just you're transitioning. I'm in a place now where I'm eating healthier. I'm trying to stay on top of my exercise. And like, I feel good. Mm-hmm. And I also, I think my perspective on beauty and body image has been changing and maturing. And I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, I like myself mm-hmm. and I, I want to feel healthy. But another part of joy is feeling like my world is not going to collapse at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. So stability is really a, a huge part of joy. So that's going to affect how I choose to set up myself career-wise. I don't think I'm in a season where I want to take a bunch of risk in mm-hmm. that department. I think I want to be financially smart. It might even f- affect how I choose to, how invested I get in new friendships. How much weight is this load willing to bear? And understanding like, that we live many lives mm-hmm. and, and to be okay with the fact that I might change careers a few times or I might have a career for five years and really love it and then want to move to something else. But yeah. if I can allow myself to have that kind of perspective of like, this is not the same world of the 1950s where you pick a career, you stay in it for 20 years and you retire. It's a new world. And one thing that is also really important to me is having things that I genuinely look forward to and then having the means to be able to do the things that I'm looking forward to, right? Whether that's a trip or whether I want to spend three months of a sabbatical in a van traveling the West Coast. Like those are things that I want to have the means to do. And so in some ways it's going to reprioritize, like it's not just so much what I'm doing, 
but also how much value is ascribed to the things that I'm doing. Am I getting paid sufficiently? Anyway, I'm going to go on a tangent. Well, can yeah, I jump yeah, in? Please, and, please do. Before I, I, I go. comment on that because, you know, I, I can resonate with a lot. I, I put it into one word, uh-huh. um, but I can resonate with the idea of like, it's going to look different at different phases of my life. So it's not this static thing that I can name. But going back to the value, like I, I think how we measure what's enough of anything goes back to our values. And for me, I think autonomy, and hear me out, autonomy, if I can put like a Christian format to it, I'll say freedom, right, which relies on love and justice, is what is enough for me. So if I have autonomy to do the things that I'm inclined to do, right? If I have enough space to lean into my artistic side, right? Or enough of economic stability to pursue a project outside of my regular routine. Or if I have enough cognitive, emotional, physical autonomy where I can lean into different things at different points of my life and not feel restricted. To be more, but, yeah, no, and I like this definition. And yeah. I feel like it does kind of fit all of the things that, that I said. Exactly. You know, which is like, e- even to feel good in your body is autonomy, right? Yeah. Like that you are well, that you are not sick, that you are able to do the things that you need to do, even the stability part. You know, we're not going to get away from work, right? Yeah. At some point... In this society, in capitalism, we have to find a way to house ourselves, but also enough room to play and enough room to be ourselves, right? If you live in a job or work in a job that is stealing from your core identity because you don't have enough time to do pottery or to write or to be artistic or to give that unique contribution into the world that is you, then that's like, it's an unhealthy relationship, right? And that's not, like you said, autonomy, freedom, health. Yeah. And much like how freedom relies on love mm-hmm. and justice, I think autonomy relies on a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. So autonomy is not isolation or selfishness. Uh, I think the most important thing when talking about defining what enough looks like for you, mm-hmm. it's kind of like enough is the antithesis of infinity, right? Mm-hmm. Or limitless. But when we describe our autonomy, we often, or freedom, it it means that we don't encounter a boundary to what we want to achieve. So I think they have this kind of weird relationship, a sense of enoughness with a sense of like freedom. To be content, but also to be able to want more. Yeah. Simultaneously. Yes. Yeah. That maybe having enough of something doesn't mean that we've encountered a stop or an end point, right? Much like right. when we're thirsty. Yeah, when we're hungry, like enough is enough for a few hours. And then, <laughs> and then you're going to want something else, right? Like, exactly. Maybe that's just a part of who we are as creatures. And even that satiation is temporary. Exactly. Right? Like we are dynamic, moving beings that you're never going to get enough food, enough water, or enough air in your lungs <laughs> in one moment to satisfy a lifetime. Right, exactly. Yeah. But that's that's part of the beauty and that's part of like also integrating the community around you, the life around you, the God that creates life. There's this order and this cycle to it and that there are different stop points 
and different moments where we have encountered enoughness. And thank goodness that it's not this end point because we would cease to exist. Right. The part of living is also searching and longing. Uh, You know, it's interesting because, like, as I'm reading this book, a part of me is like, I don't need a new career. I need money. (laughs) Oh. Like, I don't need, like... If my I, highest self my highest has come to the realization. Like, I don't need to go back to graduate school. I don't need a doctorate degree. Like, I need $250,000 a year. Like, that's my brain thinking that I can have my house in California. And then that means that I could go on vacation to see my family. That's kind of in different parts of the States. It provides me means. It provides me, like, a comfortable living. It provides, like, all of these little dynamics and so you start thinking, well, you know, is is, is two fifty enough? Is three hundred thousand enough? And then a part of me thinks like, if I could just get to a number, then I can like work towards this number. And if like this is my number, then like when I get there, I will know I have arrived at enough. Okay, <laughs> I think yes, and right, mm-hmm. right, enough can be a set number in in one particular area of your life. Like I'll have the autonomy finally that I don't have currently. To make all of those types of decisions that maybe I would want in my life. Right. And I guess a possible pitfall of orienting our sense of enoughness in a specific time, I'll circle it back to salvation, right? Making it so future-oriented, such a point in time that we cease to see how we are experiencing enoughness in the here and now. Sure. And I think that one of the things that I wanted to avoid in my life is like, I don't want to be perfectly joyful and peaceful only when I get to heaven. That means that this journey up until I am going to heaven is going to be, I'm going to expect to be suffering. And by the grace of God, I'll have moments of joy. I'll have moments of happiness. But this thing that I'm striving for is attainable in the future. And I think that I want to orient myself to defining enough in the present and in the journey itself, you know? Right. And I think we're coming from two different, I would say like apocalyptic traumas, which I think will also be part of our redefined series when we talk about end times. And what I mean by that is like your apocalyptic trauma is heaven is when your happiness is life is for suffering. And my apocalyptic trauma is not preparing for the future because you can't see in the future. You are living in the here and now and God could come at any moment or you could die at any moment. And so why make future preparations? And like a part of what I think of me solving that is are the decisions that I'm making today, making my future self happy? Mm -hmm. You know, can I can I be, quote, my own salvation where I am saving myself 10 years from now because I'm making those choices that I need to be made today to set myself up to be in a content place that I have said, I think this would be enough, right? Right. So, but I I do agree. I also don't want the journey to be a slog fast. I don't want the journey to be unpleasant. I want to have a pleasant journey to an attainable goal, (laughs) but... Mm -hmm. You know, something that I was realizing as I continue to contemplate this question is, I guess there are different tiers of living, right? When I would, I would drive by the beach and I would sit and watch the sunset and I would think, wow, I'm having the same view for zero dollars as this person behind me in this home that they bought for $5 million, right? They have 
the bills. They have the burden of having to pay for this property. I have none of that. I just get to sit by the, the water and watch this beautiful sunset. And of course, that lifestyle has its drawbacks. I don't have a my own restroom. I don't have like, there are accommodations in my car watching the sunset that I would not have in a house. And so there are some experiences in life that I realize are scalable. And so I guess another question that I've been thinking about is like, okay, at what scale do I need to be living that I can find that contentment? Because of course you can always have more money and you can always have a bigger house and a better car and buy more expensive food, right? You're living at a different tier of life. Uh, but you might not necessarily be doing all that much different. So for me, it's like finding that sweet spot, that minimum tier, not necessarily looking at the sunset through my car window, but, uh, but maybe not having the million dollar house either. Yeah. How can I find that space where my life is comfortable and bearable and I have a lot of the things that should make me happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate the word should. Right. <laughs> but I, I can, I can play with that idea and think about, you know, how much mindset affects the way in which we internalize what enough is. Right. And I think that there are psychological, even spiritual tools that can help us frame life in a way where we can connect or we can articulate pockets of gratitude, pockets of awe, pockets of peace, you know, these gifts of life or of God that help us feel fulfilled and complete in a moment in time. Yeah. And, and at the same time, going back to the conversation of us entering into a more mature dynamic with God and not always putting him her, them, in this parental role, it's like, how do you use what is available to you, what is within your own reach, to create these moments? So I think, you know, this question is awesome because it could be tackled from many different angles. But I think my biggest takeaway from this conversation and the short exploration we did is that much like the person that wrote to you, we can engage with the church, we can engage with ourselves, we can engage with God through these systems, and we can learn different paths. And I think that having the freedom to explore, having the freedom to know God in different ways and to know ourselves in different ways yeah. and to relate to the community that we serve and exist in, is important to preserving our autonomy, our personality, our characters. There is a uniqueness to every human being. And, you know, as I was reading through some of this book, this idea that money cannot buy happiness, I agree. But at some level, like, I think there is a lot of financial stress and suffering in the world. I think poverty is such a huge depressor of life, you know? And so while I think the way that you're approaching it, the sense of like autonomy and finding yourself in that autonomy, there also has to be financial freedom in some sense. Of course. And, and that doesn't mean that people can't make bad choices with enough money, right? Like you could be making the 300,000 and 
just have really poor habits and still be in a poor mentality. But there are some people who are just actually poor. And the lack of access to an affordable wage, the rising prices of housing, these are all economic stressors that I think this is good, you know, finding and redefining different pots that I want to plant myself in, being able to define who is this God that I'm in relationship with? How do I actually see salvation? How am I engaging with ethics in these questions? And then there also is the realization of like, what are some barriers to being able to be fully grown? The things that are choking out my roots. Sometimes it is finances. Sometimes it's a bad mindset. Sometimes it's the a wrong crowd. Right? And, and how are those all not connected? Right. right. Like, how do you, let's say, I just, I, it's a big eye roll for me, or I get really annoyed because I know there's so much judgment around equating happiness with financial stability, right? Yeah. Um, but, but in practical terms, you know, let's say somebody who is homeless, what kind of community can they be around? likely other people who are also struggling financially. And to say that financial struggles aren't embedded into others, so let's say on top of that there is some illness happening. If you don't have the finances and you don't have proper access to health care, and then if you don't have, because of these instabilities, uh, reliable connections, right, proper relationships with family members and friends, because you are such a burden, because talking to you is so heavy, because of all the reasons why a lot of people disassociate themselves from those who are in the homeless community. Then, Then you start to see this one aspect actually impacts all of these other aspects that make for quality of life. Life, yeah. And I think it's really infuriating when we do this kind of altruistic map and we untether ourselves from real necessities that in a financial system, we live in a social economic space, right? Right. (laughs) When you say that happiness is not tied to financial stability, then you will invalidate a lot of the pain and struggle that happens within the church community. And then you create this kind of superficial dynamic where all these things do not matter. This is what truly matters. And so people are superimposing in their framework of life um, or, you know, going back to that spiritual bypassing. There are all these pains caused by the financial instability that don't get to be named or spoken or or actually embraced. Addressed, yeah. Addressed because... They're not dealt with that way. Right. right. And, and and it's like it is a it becomes an upper middle class white gospel when we don't talk about race, economics, misogyny, like things that impact other people who are not above it. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, th- th- there's a certain kind of freedom to be like, I'm going to just gonna contemplate and find personal happiness after you have taken care of food, shelter, clothing, safety, stability. Forget the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Very tippy top is like self-realization, right? And so, you know, it's hard to be at that point of like finding joy, finding happiness, finding self-realization when there are all these other parts of the structure that you're still trying to fix. 
And who you know, who has time to be creative and be in, in their best self when they're sure. under stress because they haven't slept because they're working two jobs? I think I have my own traumas surface, right? Because yeah. I knew a lot of people when I looked around the church, much like I did, all the while hoping and wanting that someday God in that very parental role would miraculously change our circumstances. And I think a lot of bad habits, and I'm not blaming the community when I when I say this, sure. but but that the way that we're framing the way God works in our lives and the way that we're framing how we're supposed to internalize our circumstances and a lot of times neglecting how finances impact us yeah. allows for this dynamic where there's this kind of superficial joy above everything else. But what it really translates into is broken homes with a lot of anger, mismanaged, poor communication, lots of stressors impacting the family's ability to find harmony and connection without toxic roles being a part of the equation. Yeah. And so, you know, as I'm moving forward and like looking at what repotting my life looks like, it is identifying these factors that are choking out my roots. So sometimes it is the fact that the pot is too small, that this community and these definitions and the way that they're choosing to gather under these pretenses is just too small for where I am at in my life right now. Or too dry, right? Sometimes we need a different kind of soil, one that's nourishing. And other factors are maybe my financial situation is too choking and I I need to find ways to grow that out. Or maybe it's my mental health. Right, I'm in a state of mind that I need to open up my mind a little bit more. Or, 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 or even our physical health, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm, my mind is too clouded. I'm too tired all the time. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't have the cognitive freedom to engage in things that allow for a better mindset. Exactly. And I think having those little micro goals, you know, finding the things that you need to repot. And you might not be able to repot everything at once. Right. You can just begin working on it like a project, little bit at a time, identifying what's the what's the most pressing thing in my garden? What is the one pot that is bursting out of its clay that I need to do something immediately with? And then begin to work on these other little pieces of your garden. And and it takes time. And and that's why we're gonna talk about like redefining the salvation narrative because it takes time to repot plants. We're talking about making 10, 20-year plans rather than neglecting it and hoping that there's going to be a a rescue because the need is just so dire, right? And I think to move out of that crisis mode of I'm desperate and something will have to manifest instead of just taking things gradually and incrementally. And I'm just going to write out and say that it's not wrong to want to feel flexibility in your body. It's not wrong to want to have that house at the end of the street. I want it. (laughs) (laughs) It's that like, there's a lot of shame over wanting things for some reason or defining or attaching a sense of joy and happiness and excitement. Temporal in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Like everything has to be metaphysical in order for it to be valuable. And it's like, you know, how do you not, again, how do you not fall into this pattern where everything is off into the future? Everything is metaphysical, like you're saying, and yeah. not 
rooted in the real world. Yes. Like yeah. it's okay to be frustrated by not having these things. In fact, I would applaud an honest conversation around what it is that you truly desire. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we lean into what we think we're supposed to do, what we should do, what we're good at, right. and we don't actually learn who we are in the process and who we would be should yeah. all these obstacles framed in judgment, right, around what we should want or not want, how we should define happiness, we're not in the way. Yeah. And sometimes that new pot is also relationally, right? I want relationships that don't have the overtones of fear and judgment and dissonance when they engage with me because their own personal beliefs feel like I'm sinning. So how do I, as a LGBTQ person, find communities where those friendships are much more healthy. Like these, but these are also very tangible, non-metaphysical things that you can't just psych yourself out of. You can't just say, I want to be happy, even though all of these things are terrible. I am surrounded by people who (laughs) think I am disgusting, which was my internal message prior to really fully embracing my full self, right? Yeah. That that I should endure these circumstances as they are because... Something good was going to come out of it. Yeah, I mean, it was just very fatalistic, right? Sure. It just, it doesn't allow for the fullness of one's personality and experience to really engage relationally in the way that I think God is inviting us to. I am so excited to continue these conversations over the next couple of weeks where we're talking about redefining And so I hope you all continue to listen in. If you like a chance to write in or share your personal story, you can do so at Kendra Arsenault with an X. If you'd like to follow our co-host, Roxanne Del Valle, you can do so at Roxanne Marie on Instagram. And our sponsors for today are Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship. Be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you so much. This episode was created and engineered by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. I will see you all next week.